When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Alan Myers Everton Podcast. And I think you'll enjoy what we've got lined up for you today. Uh, Coming up, I've been speaking to former Everton manager David Moyes, who talks about his time at the club, how it all began, the players, the teams and the incidents of his 11 years at Goodison Park. We'll also hear from French striker Mikel Madar about his short but eventful time with Everton. Listen out for the story about when he was told it would be a good idea if he left the club. And in the second part of the show, we'll have an in-depth and exclusive interview with under-23 boss David Unsworth, who discusses his time as a player and playing for David Moyes and talks us through a double-winning season, of course, for his under-23 youngsters. So, a packed show to get through. Let's get to it. And first, I went up to Lancashire for an afternoon with former boss David Moyes. And he began right back when he got the call to join Everton. I'll tell the story because we're not too far away from the place. There was a director at Blackpool Football Club and I used to go and watch lots of games round, all round the North West. Especially because I was manager of Preston and even before that. And this old Scottish director used to always say to me, the Everton job's a job for you, son. And I used to say, oh, thanks, thanks, and, you know, but would it ever come up? Then when it did come up, Walter lost at Middlesbrough, I think it was, and the bongo drums started to go a little bit, and I started to hear one or two things. But Walter was, was, was one of my mentors and one of my friends and someone who I really respected. So when it came about, I was actually driving... Uh, have you got a long podcast here so that I can tell the story? Plenty of time. Is a long one. Oh, Plenty well. of time. Uh, I was driving to watch Bristol Rovers play at Bristol Rovers, and I had my I had my chief scout in the car who was Clive Middlemass at the time. I'm trying to remember the name of the striker we were going to watch at Bristol Rovers, and I should know this. So we're driving down to Bristol Rovers, and the phone rang, and it was Bill Kenwright, and he said, uh, "Would you mind coming and seeing me?" I says, "When?" He says, "Could you come right away?" I says, well, I'm on the way to Bristol Rovers. I says, and I'm not going to miss the game because I'm working for, uh, no, I'm manager of press and we're going to watch the centre forward. I says, I've got my chief scout in the car. He says, well, would you come after? I says, yeah, no problem. So there's us driving from Preston to Bristol. So we went and watched Bristol Rovers play. At the end of the game, jumped in the car and drove up to London where uh, where I met Bill and Jenny. And uh, Jenny made us a bit of, bit of tea probably about, I don't know, <laughs> midnight, it must have been the time we got to London, one o'clock, I sat and talked to Bill for, for an hour or two, Clive, my chief scout, had to sit in the other room, and uh, I'd, we jumped in the car, and, and within that, me and Bill had sort of agreed that if he makes the change, then I would uh, I would take the job, but going back to my, the point which I was going to say was, the big thing was, if Walter was going to lose the job and he was a friend of mine, it was going to be difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it a quick process? Did you, you sort of made your mind up quickly? Yeah, I made my mind up. I have to say, I had been offered, uh, I'd been offered a lot of jobs prior to Everton. I'd met, no, 
Nottingham Forest, I've met Southampton, Sheffield Wednesday, all those clubs who were all Premier League clubs at the time. Mm-hmm. I had met them or, or they had phoned me or I'd, I'd been in touch with them and I'd, in truth I'd met those three clubs uh, individually, privately, uh, but I never felt any of them were what I wanted to leave to leave Preston because we had a really good club at Preston, a really good team and we were improving all the time. But Everton was just too good uh, to miss Everton. We're always seen as one of the top, the big clubs in, in England. And when the opportunity came around, uh, it was just too good to miss. Uh, I'm going to skip past the press conference and the famous words and all the rest of it, because yeah. it's been done, you know, done yeah. many, many times. What sort of a club did you walk into at Everton, do you think? Well, I, did, I, I said many times, says Walter was my friend, but I think I walked into uh, quite an ageing club. I think the process was to buy the best players, and they had they had great players. You know, I walked into Gaza and Genoa and Duncan and Tommy Gravison and and many many more, uh, really really top players. But I felt as if there was it was it wasn't useful, and I thought as well there was no value on the pitch. And I thought that probably the budget was getting taken with wages, and I thought. Uh, could I try and turn this around and make it make it younger? So probably my first feeling walking into Everton was to say, this looked looked a bit too old. And I wanted to try and make it more youthful. And, and how difficult was that? I mean, because I think at the time, really, you had to concentrate on keeping it safe. I had to win. I mean, the first game, obviously, Unzi scores after 20, 20 seconds Fulham, against I think Fulham. Yeah, then we then we went away. The next game, we went away to Derby, and uh, I think we won six two in the day. Uh, I think it was in our, our 5-2 I remember me and Taff and Taff was great uh, Andy Holden at the time was great because he, he helped me a lot and so we got off to a flying start but then we went and lost at Newcastle the next game and we lost quite heavily I think we it, we maybe lost there 5-2 or 5-3 and uh, I remember Sir Bobby Robson uh, coming out in the media after it and saying yes and it's welcome to the Premier League now for David Moyes I was raging I was raging I said I'll, I'll show you you think you know I was so yeah. but it was also good because it showed me that hey you're not going to come in this league and think that winning a few games is going to make you uh, think that you've cracked it so it was a difficult period but we did stay up and it was a uh, it was a it was a good way actually to start because I got seven or eight games as a manager before the end of the season and then you had the summer what was your what was your sort of do you remember what your, your, your top priority was and I, I can't remember exactly I think we needed a goalkeeper uh, I felt as if we needed a centre half and, and you know sometimes it's when you start to go back 15, 16 years you don't always get things exactly right here so no, Joseph Yobo wasn't long in coming we signed Richard Wright at the time I, but I had a good knowledge of the championship and the better players you know I had taken Bill to see uh, Tim Cahill a bit later you know we had talked about Andy Johnston and all those players who who were mate, a lot of them were around the, the better players in the in the championship at the time. So they were really the priorities, but it was trying to sort of get rid of some of the players we had and move them on so that we, we created a bit of space to get some other players in. And how, how difficult was that? Because the, the second season wasn't the easiest either, was it? It wasn't, it wasn't an easy start for you at Everton? No, it wasn't, but I think our performance and where we finished in the league, I think we, did we finish, correct me, did we finish eighth in the league? I, 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 think, you know, I, I, I don't think, remember no, so there you go this is what happens I think we did I think it was actually 
it's the season after this where we have a bit of a problem. I think that's probably what you. No, you're right. Uh, that's exactly and, right. And that's it because we had a period. I think, in, and I might be jumping ahead here. We had a period, probably the first four or five years, where it was a good year, a bad year, a good year, a bad yeah. year, yeah. Uh, until we levelled that out. But I've got to say, I think the first year wasn't too bad. Uh, but I think at the end of the first year, we lost, maybe 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 a bit further on, we lost to Manchester City in one of the last games. We lost 5-0 at Manchester City, I think it was. I think that was the one I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, and I think that it was maybe year two or three down the line. And that was the only time I thought, oh my goodness. But, you know, we had got Premier League safe by Easter. And actually, if you look back, I remember coming out and saying is, this club's just got into, a, into a, a, a period of thinking that once we get safe, we'll get on the beach and we'll put our feet up and we're done. And that was what happened that year. I think once we get safe at Easter, I don't know if we won a game hardly in the remaining games, which culminated in a, in a, a heavy defeat at Man City. So my idea was to get completely rid of that culture. That culture was going, we weren't going to be doing this again and we were going to be finishing high, well... And I think probably from about that period on, there was a level of stability, probably much greater than it had been for a long time. I think, you know, the, the big accusation about Everton at the time then after that was that we punched above our weight, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it could be, come across as a bit disrespectful, that, can't it, at times, I think, you know, because you are where you are because of what you've done. Yeah, I think we punched above our weight because we weren't spending lots. We weren't mm-hmm. probably seen as maybe the most fashionable team at the time. But the big thing is we were growing again. There was starting there was starting to be signs that we were improving. We'd started to bring through some of the younger players we'd talked about. Obviously in this early period as well, we had Wayne in the team as well, which brought an awful lot of media to the club, which maybe we hadn't had good media really at Everton for for many a years, really, since maybe even the great days. So for me, there was lots of moments in the journey which, which were really good for me, helped the club, helped the team, helped me as well. And uh, But I think more importantly, once we got over that, that sort of two, three, four year period, I think we were sort of in smoother waters as far as where we were going. Uh, how big, you mentioned Wayne there, how big a challenge was that to you, a young manager at the time, you know, in the Premier League mm-hmm. and having to deal with such a such an explosion of a, of, yeah. a, of a story. Well, it was difficult for me because everybody wanted a piece of Wayne at the time. And Wayne actually was there right from the start, in truth, because I'm now thinking back to when we start. You know, he played in the in the, the FA Youth Cup That's against tough, Tottenham. Yeah. I watched it at Goodison. I actually sat up in the gantry and I remember the players going out in the pitch and I had to come down off the gantry and back down the steps and across the pitch. And the players had come down for a cool down. And he was standing there. And I, and I remember walking past him and saying... Uh, you'll be with the first team next year. And and at that time, Wayne only went, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Wayne didn't, Wayne didn't speak at that time, you know. <laughs> so uh, so then, uh, as it was, as you know, you can see, I think, second last game of the season, third game, we had to come into the squad at Southampton and Wayne was on the bench at Southampton. Acted like someone who this was normal to him. So really, from the start of next season, there was a lot of hype on Wayne. Uh, we were desperate to get him, see what he could do as well, because he was he was an immense talent. I mean, I remember badging you myself, saying, can we do an interview, can we yeah, do an interview? Yeah. And I think one day we nearly fell out, because I think you'd heard that maybe we'd been trying to film around his house or something, yeah. you know, and I think we, we put it straight and, you know. Um, but 
I think we, we did actually you ended up yeah. allowing me to come down and do the first interview which was fantastic and, and I think what I remember at the time is thinking do you know what David Moyes is right you know because you've seen how terrified he was doing that interview mm-hmm. and then it sort of it dawned on you why you'd protected him in the way that yeah. you had and did you have to do that did you feel as though you had to do that I, I felt Wayne wasn't ready for it and also I was hoping that uh, that, you know, that we would try and bring him up the right way as far as you know being a professional, how you should do. Yeah, did we, did we, it bothered us a little bit because I didn't want him getting above his station. And it was difficult because, you know, we had Wayne had Pepsi Cola, I think it was at the time. We had EA games. We had everybody wanting him. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I remember one night, I think I fell out with, it might have been Jeff Reeves or somebody at Sky. I think we were away from home, maybe down at, I don't know if it was Charlton or somewhere at the time. And, Someone the camera was round his face, and you know, and I went mad with him because I think it was the end bit. It was the end, the end of the game. Yeah, and and I thought, you know, this isn't what I want for a young player. And all I had in my sort of library of uh, sort of memory was to say, when I was a player at Celtic, I I watched the way Celtic looked after Charlie Nicholas. Mm. Charlie Nicholas was a superstar in Scotland at the time, and I, I was a good friend of his, and we were we were around a lot together at Celtic. And then, obviously, I, I related a lot and how I thought Alex Ferguson dealt with Ryan Giggs when Ryan Giggs came on it. So for me, my only sort of reference point was to look back and say, how did Sir Alex, how did Celtic deal with, with it at that time? And I used a bit of that to, to what it was, try to protect him. I hope, probably looking back, they would say it was the best thing. And I guess when you look on the other flip side of that, you see what happened to Gaza. Because he didn't probably go to mm-hmm. Sir Alex or, or, or yeah. one of those sort of people mm-hmm. who would protect him, and you see what could happen. Yeah, well, I think I think even probably from Gaza's day to where where uh, you know Wayne was with his agents, I think there was a there was a much better structure in place. You no, know, like they were protecting him; he wasn't getting totally abused. But I had to make sure from the football side that you know Wayne was doing his work. He was preparing. He was doing all his gym work. He was he was making sure that his development as a young player was coming on. And then you sort of started to build this team, which it, it, it took on a, a sort of way about it where it just didn't know how to get beat. It didn't want to get mm. beaten. And, and characters like Tim Cahill, yeah. um, you know, later on Phil Neville, yeah. uh, Tim Howard, these sort of players. When you look at those players, who are the ones that stand out to you? Well, the biggest thing I'd say is about, I actually think that Everton had really good characters, mm. even at the start. You know, even at the start, I could go. I could start with the, the players I had. I think all those players who were there on near enough day one to where I finished would all would all say they 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 were Everton players. I don't think any one of them would say wouldn't want to say they were an Everton player. Even you no, know, right at the start, some of the players, even Steve Watson and some of the ones uh, Pistoni at the start, going right all the way to the players you've mentioned, like Phil Neville and Tim Cahill. So. But I think that the big thing was we had really good characters in it. And I've said this a few times recently, Al. I've said that when I first came in, I didn't really care who they were. You know, they, they got the treatment, whether it was whether it was the top one or whether it was the bottom one, they got the same treatment. You know, and I didn't I didn't differentiate whether you were a superstar or whether you had a hundred caps or not. You were you were all treated the same in my eyes and, and I demanded it be a team set up. And I think in a way that's why I was probably uh, with real respect needing to say, well, no, Gaza, no, you're probably too old now for me. David Ginola, you're probably too old for what I needed at the start. 
But a lot of the other players went the journey. You know, people in the early days, Rosinski, Campbell, you know, as we mentioned, Watson, and and, uh, and and then we had people who were still blooming, like David Weir and Alan Stubbs were in their early, Gary Naismith, people like that were all in their early early stages with me. So I think from day one up until the, the sort of the Tim Cahill, Phil Neville era, I still think all those boys played a big part in the journey. And how significant was Nigel Martin? You mentioned the goalkeeper yeah. earlier, because I know it means a lot to you, doesn't it, that signing? Oh, Nigel Martin. I get asked all the time who was my best signing, and I think that people are telling me there's been polls, you know, was it Tim Cale, was it Mikel yeah. Arteta? You know, hey, and, and don't get me wrong, we made lots of bad signings as well. There's no, there isn't a football manager out there who doesn't make bad signings. But I've got to say, I think we got a majority right but Nigel Martin for me because I always look at it you know sort of a bit pound for pound you know what would the, what was the best value Nigel gave us incredible stability defensively he cost us just a bit nothing I think from Leeds United he was probably seen as a wee bit it maybe going over the edge at Nigel uh, at the time but he was an international he came he gave us real stability and he was a real down to earth great lad to work with character great character around the place and I think Everton had grown up with great goalkeepers you know when you look yeah. at Neville Southall and, and the ones that Everton had had you know I, I, it's difficult you couldn't put them in a comparison in any way but for us at the time Nigel was, was a great signing and gave us a real thought well he's here for a few years and we don't need to worry about this position too much how, how have uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the later years but how, how do you think players have changed now because I mean we look around and we hear all these stories about player power and I mean have our modern day players very different to those players you mentioned the Lee Carsleys mm-hmm. the Nigel Martins yeah I do because I think that the, the players in those days would have you know they were probably a bit easier they could have taken a bollock and they knew they knew they were going to get it at times but uh, they got their praise as well, and I think they took a lot of things. They didn't. There wasn't as much social media about at that time. There was obviously media and, and you know lots of media scrutiny, but I think the players then were, you know, sort of knew they knew when they performed well, when they hadn't. They knew when to put their head down and look at the floor, and when they they could stick their chest out because they performed well. I think there has been a, a generation change. I think that all the players in our days would have come with any problems or any misgivings to the manager directly. And I think they had a bit more said. I think nowadays a lot of them will hide behind their agents or they might even hide behind going direct to the CEO or even to the owners nowadays. And because of the, the change in owners in football and the change of sort of the way club structures are, whether you have a sporting director, whether you're a CEO, a lot of them feel this is the direct route in if I've got a complaint rather than in our day it would have been you're not in the team well go and speak to the manager now they might find other avenues to, to try and find and complain about it it's, it's a good point and that, that I wanted to ask you about that relationship in particular about you with you and Bill Kenwright and, but, but more generally as well about that relationship I know at every fo- good football club I've been around there's always that connection between a manager and whether it's a CEO or whether it's mm-hmm. the chairman or, or whatever there's always that bond between those two. Is that gone now? Do you think, or and, and also, how was it with with you and Bill? No, I don't. I don't think it has gone. I don't think it's gone at the really good clubs and the really successful clubs. I think it's gone at the clubs who are trying to be that. I think the really successful clubs have owners who say, "Don't come to me. Deal with the manager." Or the good CEOs say, "Don't come to me. Go to the manager." 
I, I can't honestly believe that, say for example, and I, I use Sir Alex, uh, I, I, do you really believe that a player would go to David Gill over Sir Alex in their day? I can't see it. So for me, I don't believe MD, even at Manchester City, would go above Pep Guardiola's head at the moment to the CEO or to the owner, because I think the, the owner would say, away you go. So I actually think that the really successful clubs and the really good ones don't entertain it. And uh, it's sad that I do, that's the way I see it at the moment. But uh, I do hope that uh, that you know it keeps normal and they and they go to the right reporting lines. And and your relationship with Bill, what, uh, what was that like? Well, again, going back to if if I'm talking to to young coaches now, you know, we always say you know you're going for an interview for a job. Well, the, the most important thing is that you interview the owner because you need the owner to know or the chairman to know you've got a relationship. I had a brilliant relationship with Bill. And I think a lot of Evertonians over the years might have thought, what's happening here, David and Bill here? But I'll tell you what, the relationship we had done great things for the club. I forced Bill all the time to keep pushing the boundaries. And Bill kept encouraging me and kept, you know, when I was low, kept giving me a lift. And so in a, in a way together, we worked together. Bill used to phone me... Uh, he never asked for the team, never asked for anything, understand, trusted me. I would have phoned him on the way into the game on a Saturday. How you doing? He'd say, how are you feeling? What's going on? I said, no, boys are good. I think we're in good order this week. We've been good. Great. And then we would phone on the way home after the game. Quick call. And he knew, you know, if I lost, he was always really good. If I won, he was really good. And I always used to say, we needed owners who didn't get too high when you win and too low when you lose, because if you get that way, then it becomes, so what's the balance going to be like? Bill was great at it. Uh, me and him, I think, over the years, had a brilliant relationship. And was that the strength of it, that you would challenge him, he would challenge you, you both mm-hmm. sort of, you know, wouldn't, well, wouldn't just be a nice relationship? No, no. I've got to say, it, we were tough. But I remember when I joined Everton, uh, Bill said to me, he says, David, I'll only ever be able to give you £5 million a year to spend. I says, yeah, OK. I says, but here's my conditions, Bill. My conditions are that you don't sell any players without my permission. And I can do anything I want as far as preparing the players. If I decide I want to take them to America, I want to go to a five-star hotel, I want to take them up the mountains, I can do anything. And he says, no problem, David. We shook hands on that deal. And we never, we never changed. Bill never changed. I was lucky that I got more than five million to spend, but it was money that we raised through runs in the cup or selling somebody or whatever reason. And uh, and that's how our relationship worked. Um, just looking at some of the, the the great moments, you know, and obviously you remember the cup finals and and, and the, you know the great semi final with the penalty shootout with Jags and mm-hmm. you know and and. Um, one of the one of the days I think I certainly remember is the day against Newcastle when we qualified for the Champions, Champions League. League and, yeah. You know the atmosphere around Goodison at that point was just fantastic. Oh. And, and what what did that mean to you as a manager? You know, first of all, how proud were you? But also, did you feel we can kick on from here? Mm-hmm. There was always something with me. I'm getting goose pimples when you think about it. But I've got to first of all say that there was always something with me where I I expected that. I didn't see it as being. Oh, this is an incredible achievement. This is what I was expecting. I was expecting it to, to keep going and, and us to be successful. I knew we had limitations because of what we had to spend, maybe the, you know, the level of players we had. You know. But in general, I didn't go into any game ever thinking that we were, we were worse than the opposition. I always thought that, nah, I expect us to get a result here today. 
But I think the Newcastle game when we beat Newcastle, and about, if you remember the evening game, probably about a month in, in that month we had to beat, and we beat Manchester United yeah. 1-0, yeah. Duncan scores the header. So now, can I tell a wee bit of a story here? You can, on, on, uh, absolutely. Actually, I was, I was fortunate enough to do some television with, with, uh, with Andy Gray and Richard Keyes mm. out in Qatar. And Andy Gray puts his phone on and he shows me the game against Bayern Munich at, right. at Goodison. Yep. And it shows Andy's goal mm. and you should see the crowd. Mm. Oh, wow. The, the, it focused in on the crowd. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. Mm. There wasn't a person not getting tossed up there. So, going back to our game against Manchester United that night, I watched it recently and it was the exact same. So, we'll move it on a bit, David. We'll look at the sort of, has it come to the end? And How did you, when you heard of interest from Manchester United, how did you deal with that yourself? Well, I only heard of interest from Manchester United one month before the end of the season, three weeks before the end of the season. It was really, it wasn't as if I knew about, and I think a lot of people suggested that I knew or something was said. There was nothing said, you know, and, and uh, that was it. And actually, my biggest concern was I was getting into my last year of my contract, and it was my choice, because Bill had wanted me to stay. It was my choice because I was a bit worried that, you know, I've been here over 11 years now, have I overstayed my welcome? I don't want to be, I don't want to be in any way holding the club back if the club thought it was getting held back by me or if they thought they could do better. I didn't want people to feel that way. And I knew what football was like. And uh, we, were, we were generally, me and Bill, we were just sort of deciding. And I knew that that season we weren't going to have much cash. Bill had told me there wasn't going to be much cash in the way the money was coming in and when it was coming in it meant that we probably wouldn't get it till near enough the next January and I'm saying my goodness I'm going to have to try and do this again with the same and we were I wouldn't say we were ageing because the next season went on to prove that they weren't you know because you know Sylvan was getting a bit older Tim Howard was getting a bit older yeah. uh, and it meant that you know we were beginning to, to say we might need to replace these players again so for me when Man United phoned, it wasn't an easy choice, but it wasn't something what uh, I felt that I was probably, for lots of reasons, maybe making the right decision for, on, in, on everybody's side. And actually, I got an incredible send-off at Goodison. I really did, and I think everybody probably saw that it was a, you know, we'd been on a great journey. And and when I look back, how, how good the team was, which everyone went on to prove the next season, and... and uh, how good they were. There was a, there was an exceptional team uh, at Everton, there really was. Well, I don't think anyone could look and say you could tear Manchester United down. I mean, I, th- I think any any sane football fan would understand that mm. that was a job which you had to take. Well, I think there's probably a lot of Evertonians would say that you, you, <laughs> you would do. But I, I, I think generally, if I thought I was, if I had been doing any, if I was breaking contract or doing some but it wasn't that. It was it was well aware. My only disappointment was that I'd have liked to have dealt with it much better with Bill on the way out. But it was only because Sir Alex had said to me he was retiring and, and, he'd, and it was only a month before the end of the season or three weeks before the end of the season. In my biggest job, all I could think about was how could I finish above Liverpool in the league? And we had to play Liverpool at Anfield uh, and I knew I had to go to Anfield and at least not get beaten at Anfield, and we did do. And uh, and it sort of, so it wasn't as if in any way it, it changed my focus or how we worked or anything. Far from it. 
uh, because I wanted to make sure that we, we finished strong and we did do. It was a difficult time at Manchester United, but did you enjoy it, the whole experience? Yeah, I don't think you could ever turn around and say no. I think, I don't think, uh, I think you have to have done something well enough to to be to get the Manchester United job in the first place. And uh, I think what I got was because of the success is we'd had at Everton till level and the way we'd built the club and the team, our recruitment, uh, our policies of what the way we played young players and we brought people through. I think all those things actually worked in my favour of what maybe a Manchester United manager had it looked like and I think that was probably the reason uh, it came around um, Just looking now at Everton now what do, what do you make from a, from afar you know when you look at the job uh, it's been a turbulent few yeah. years hasn't it really and I think that's like any football club mm. when there's transition and when there's change so much yeah. it's difficult isn't it yeah. Earlier on in this podcast when I spoke about Andy Gray showed me the night against Bayern Munich I mentioned the night we beat Man United to qualify for the Champions League. I was watching the games midway through the season and I said, this is nothing like the Goodison I know or like the supporters I know. I thought they were sitting in their hands and I had seen them jumping around, you know, as if it was, you know, we, and they had something to be proud of. Uh, I think come the end of the season, I think the, the supporters were all happier, certainly much happier. Everton got some really good results. And I think there were signs of that coming back. But I think those days which I mentioned, I think there's a bit to go to get back to that. Certainly my days could never touch Andy Gray's days and the in the team they had there. But I, I think that a couple of the nights, I think Everton are still looking for some of those really great nights and really great days where it's something we, the supporters will, will stick with them. Maybe this season where they beat Manchester United four nothing might have been might have been the closest they've come to this year. Fans have said, under your management ship, you know, we had an identity, we knew who we were, we knew what we wanted to achieve, and, and it seems that it, over the last few years it's lost that Everton. Is that, is that something you'd agree with, do you think? Well, I think, I think if you continually change your manager, you find it difficult to have an identity. I always used to think about how our, how our, how our identity would keep evolving. You know, I go back to where we were at the start, you know, Lee Carsley's, Tommy Gravison's, you know, uh, really top players. But then to the team we had at the end, the team we had at the end could could mix it. You know, we were tough. But you can't tell me that Osman, Pina, Arteta, you know, couldn't play. You know, just in the same breath, you know, you you know, if you said to us, you know, could we knock the ball into the box from crosses on Cahill or Fellaini? We had a bit of everything at the time and we could play in whatever whatever we needed to do and we could try and find a game plan to win any games with the group of players we had. And quite often we did. I remember a period, not quite at the end, where we were without centre-forwards and we had to play without them. We had Cahill and Flaney playing as sort of, you know, with no strikers and we were winning games, we are finding ways. You know, we we evolved, we ended up with a team which, had, which I would have called false wingers where maybe Aussie would come on off the right, or Mikel, or Pina, and we found different ways of of, uh, of playing. So I think our, our identity changed, but what couldn't change is what you do at Goodison. I don't think you can step back off the play at Goodison. I think the supporters demand, you know, you're expected to be committed, your energy levels have to be high, commitment, Desire, all the words which are quite easy to say, are nearly sort of 
they're written in the stadium and if you don't if you don't have that to start then you're probably better not been there how difficult is it to be a manager these days I think it's got harder because of lots of the things we've talked about like owners and, and where football is in, and maybe social media maybe players to a lesser extent I think it's not a job now where I had 11 years at Everton I don't think it's a job now you're going to thinking hey this is this is a, a job I'm in for life there's not necessarily that or not so much not a job for life but a job for a long period I think the managers are jumping about the jobs more more often but uh, it's still a great it's still a great job and it's something which uh, you know I hope to continue doing I was going to say you talk about that bug have you still got the bug? Oh, I've got the bug the bug will never go away I watch games I'm, I'm at lots of games I, I watch things at UEFA all sorts of things so uh, I'm, I'm busy and I want to keep it up if I can The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, there we are. A very honest and open interview there with David Moyes. And I'm sure, as he says there, you'll not see a manager spending 11 years at one Premier League club very often in today's game. Well, as David mentioned there, David Unsworth scored the first goal of his time at Everton. And this week I went to Finch Farm to sit down with Unzi. And we began with that goal against Fulham over 17 years ago. So, Dave, f- f- let's go back to that time when uh, David Moyes arrived at the club. And, of course, we all remember that first goal after, what was it, 20-something seconds? Six, I think, 26 seconds. People say it was 27, but uh, I-, I always say it was 26. Uh, great day. Um, David came in, actually, the day before. He came in on the Friday morning. Uh, um, I think he signed on the Thursday night. And um, came in on the Friday morning, and I, I always remember his first session because I was, I was, always one of the first players in to Belfield. Um, oh, you always used to get in early, and I remember I got in about half eight, which is early for a player. I can assure you. Um, and the pitch was already set up, full of mannequins, cones, and it was like, wow, you know, that's that's new, you know. Um, and then he, he introduced himself and then we went into the little porter cabin then we had at the side of the training ground, which was which doubled up as a analysis suite. And we, we all sat there and he and he showed us um you know, his take, his analysis on, on Fulham. Very detailed. We were in there a long time, can't exactly remember how long, but when we finally uh, finished in there we went onto out onto the pitch and Everything was, you know, set out really, really well, and uh, we went from session to session. And the detail of of his first training session, his knowledge of Fulham, um, and then obviously the day after when we beat them, was it was a it was a, a moment when you you look back and you think this guy knew knew his business and he knew his knew his stuff and uh, he got us going straight away. He was very much a young manager, wasn't he? And and didn't come with you know. That much experience in management. He'd been at Preston North End, I think. Um, how did the, some of the senior players, you know, sort of take to that? Was there any problem in that respect? Uh, no, there wasn't because the senior players were good senior players and and want, all wanted to do well for for Everton. Um, I probably knew a little bit more about David than 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 a few of the other lads because being a Chorley lad, you know, uh, born in Preston. You know, I'd follow Preston North End, so I knew about his his rise, uh, Preston's rise under him, um, and how well a job he'd done. He'd, he'd done it at, um, at Preston, so I knew a little bit about him. Um, and then I think uh, footballers are, 
you know, they're quite welcoming footballers. And as soon as we trained with him in his first session and we, we, we saw how detailed and how good the training was, and then you back that up with a result uh, at home, um, footballers will very easily then fall in line and, 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 and go along with you with for the journey. Um, and, and then we won the second game. So it really, you know, he turned us around instantly, like like a flick of a switch, and it reminded me uh, of Joe Royal's uh, first sort of managerial week or two at Everton, where he did a similar thing. So, you know, similarities between Joe and David, um, and he and he got us going, he got us playing. He, he said in his interviews, you probably just heard there, um, that. Nobody was any different. He treated everybody exactly the same, no matter what your name was, who you were, how you know successful you'd been with the club. And did, did do you remember that sort of sense at the time? Yes. Um, well, I mean, we had you know senior players, the likes of Ginola, Gascoigne, himself, Stubbs, Weir, Campbell. Um, you know, big personalities in the change room. So yeah I, I would i would i would go with that yeah he he treated us all the same he was fanatical about coaching and um preparation and detail and to the point where i'd not seen that level before in my in my time um but worked under great managers in in joel walter howard but they were different david was very much a manager who coached uh, who was took all the training every day? Even took the warm up. Even told us what to eat. Really? Even told us what to wear. So that so that was a, that was new to us. Uh, but I liked it. I, I thought he was a fantastic coach. I started to think about football a little bit differently and started taking notes on his sessions. Set some sessions that I still do today. Uh, with our boys, um, you know the detail in it, his preparation, his analysis, pre-game was 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 terrific. And one thing I I don't think gets mentioned enough is his partnership with Alan Irvine. I thought Alan Irvine was a magnificent appointment at the same time as when David came in, and um, the two of them for me uh, were up there with Joe Royal, Willie Donaghy, Howard Kendall, Colin Harvey. I thought they worked brilliantly together, and I can't pay them enough praise um, for what they did on the training ground I thought it was fantastic You alluded to it there did you take a lot from his management style his coaching style into your management style His, his coaching style definitely I liked his sessions I liked his, the intensity of his sessions there was never a lazy day there was never a you know every session was intense uh, was meaningful you know there was no generic days where you'd just go out and play a five aside everything was geared towards the success of the team and the team's shape and selection and and the opposition that you were about to play, so that was that started not my interest probably in, in coaching both David and Alan Irvine because I thought they were great coaches. Um, I spoke to him about this as as we just heard, and I said, you know, I've spoken to ex players who played for him in the past, and you know, he had this whether he likes it or not, and, and we talked about it. You know, he had this sort of way about him of being a disciplinarian and, and a strict and and you know a hard taskmaster. Um, but every ex-player, so I, I used to ask ex-players and say, you know, what what is it that you, you know, ha, why do you play for him the way you do? You know, because he's got that, and and they all said the same thing. He made you want to play for him. Did you have that with him? Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Um, I, I think Dave's a great guy, mm. uh, you know, and I and I think he did a great job here. 
um, at a time when we needed somebody of David's personality and enthusiasm and probably fanaticism of of coaching and and the way the the way the club was at that time. We needed you know David's desire and drive and commitment more than ever, um, and he. His training was good, and I think players, good, honest professionals, good players, top players, will always go along with that. Um, mm. When the training is interesting, different, detailed, um, intense, you know, you put all those in the mix, um, and you can't not want to play for a manager or a coach that is like that because, you know, his his sheer desire on his own, you know, brought you with him. It, it sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it, that players, and I've noticed this from being in the game, players want to be coached. They actually yeah. want that, you know, and, and, and I know that sounds a bit obvious, but it isn't that obvious, is it really? Yeah, I think a lot of people think that footballers, you know, I think then and now, will just turn up, you know, play five-a-side for an hour, go home, and, and that's your job done. Well, absolutely not, you know, it's, 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 you're in early, you know, you're, you're detailed, you're, you're doing different things, you're doing different elements of your game, you're in the gym, you're back out. You know, we worked very, very hard under David Moyes, you know, and, and I think I think the, the different teams he had at the start, probably in the middle, just probably when I left, and then obviously his team at the end, you know, the, we would all, as players, turn around and say, we've probably never worked as hard under under David Moyes. Um, I certainly haven't worked as hard or trained as hard as I did under any other manager than David. Um, pre-seasons were really, really tough. I mean, as, as tough as I can ever imagine. Um, and like I said, I, I, I've, I've stolen a few sessions from him in pre-season, <laughs> what I still do now with our boys. So, um, very challenging. But yeah, you're right, players players want that challenge. They see the desire in the manager. And if you're a good pro, you know, you always want to better yourself. And um you know, we had we had a, a lot of good pros at that time, and in, in all his reign, I think David would say the same. You know, he was very fortunate enough that he inherited a a decent bunch. He added to it. He, he recruited really well, not just good players, but good lads as well. And um, you know, he made I would say the majority of his players better in the time that he worked with them. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So fine words about uh, his former manager there from David Unsworth. And we'll be hearing a lot more from Unzi a little bit uh, later on in the podcast uh, about that incredible season for his under-23 side. Double winners, of course. Now, flowing black hair, a snappy suit and that French fleur. I can still recall the day when a certain Mikhail Madar walked into Belfield to sign for Everton. And despite some early goals, it didn't really all go as planned at Goodison Park for the French international. When you arrived at Everton, I remember you coming into the training ground and you had uh, yeah. a very particular look about you. You had the long hair. and Did you feel as though <laughs> maybe you'd made it? It was a bit special because uh, I came to, to, to play in England. And for me, uh, for, for everybody, the, the, this country is uh, the, uh, the best country to play football. And uh, I was very happy. I want to score goals and, uh, and play well and stay a long time. But uh, I think that's one year and it was, uh, it was difficult for me. Do you remember your first goal? I think it was away at Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, I remember. I, I think we won 3-1. <laughs> what was it like to score that goal? Uh, for me, uh, uh, you know, it, it was incredible because 
Uh, all the time I, I sign in one team. I don't know why, but I score for my first game. <laughs> and it was the same for Everton, with Everton. And it was special because uh, we have uh, like uh, three or four thousand uh, uh, fans in the in the city stadium, uh, Palace Stadium, and uh, for me it was uh, it was incredible because I never saw that, you know. And uh, uh, I was very happy to start the the, the season and uh, with Everton and and score my first goal and, and we win. It, it was a long time we don't win one uh, one right. game. That's right. And, and do you remember a goal? I was watching some of your goals last night. And do you remember a goal against Leicester City where Duncan Ferguson yeah, headed yeah, yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely yeah, volley. Yeah. Remember. You remember that one? How was it like playing with Duncan Ferguson? What was it like playing alongside? Well, it was a great, 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 great player and great guy and a nice person. I, I like him a lot. I like him. And I think uh, when. The, the second season when the, uh, Walter Smith wants I, I leave uh, I leave Everton. That's a shame. <laughs> I, am my, I am my daughter and she speaks English very well. Ah, right, okay, okay. That's a shame, you know, to to leave, to 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 leave and, and to doesn't uh, to not play for with uh, with uh, Duncan Ferguson Ferguson another season, you know. Mm. I want to stay, but Walter uh, uh, Smith doesn't want. <laughs> no. well, let, let me first. Talk you know, when when we start the season, yes, Walter Smith, we was in in, uh, in Netherlands, and uh, I make six months with uh, I pay six months for Everton, and he came he came in my uh, bedroom to speak with me and to ask me if I want to leave because he have uh, an opportunity for me to play in. In Spain again, and I say no. I want to stay to Everton. Mm. Why you ask me? I make a good uh, six months last uh, last year, and I want to play. Uh, I have two two years contract more, and you want I leave? I don't understand. And after this moment, never uh, I pay. Never more I pay. Did that make you very sad? I was very sad there because I want to stay a long time in England. Mm. I like. I like the I like the club. I like the the, the city. I like uh, my partners. I like everything in England. Mm. But I need to leave because my manager doesn't want I play. Mm. And and Howard Kendall was, was, Howard Kendall was very different, wasn't he? He he. I, I, is it Is it true you would have a cigarette? Best. You would have a cigarette with Howard? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm smoking before. Uh, well, I, I, I know, I'm not smoking now. <laughs> when I was player, I'm smoking. I don't know why, but it's like this. And uh, our, it was funny because uh, uh, when uh, when we play uh, uh, away in London, when we after the game, when we come back with the bus, uh, we play cards and we drink uh, glass <laughs> beer and. Uh, I don't want to smoke because, uh, you know, in France it's, uh, it's not prohibition, 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 you can't, you know, you can't because it's not for the football player, you can't smoke normally. And, uh, Oscar Kendall came to play card with us and uh, with a big cigar 
And he asked me, do you want to drink something? I said, uh, no, thank you. I don't, I don't drink uh, alcohol. And he said, you can smoke, Michael. It's no problem. You want to smoke? I said, uh, do you think I can? He said, yeah, yeah, no problem. You can smoke. And I take my cigarette. Wow. <laughs> and I smoke with my candle. It was crazy, but this man is, is a crazy man, but funny man and nice person. I like him. And I was very sad when I know he's dead. And uh, well, it's a very good, good guy. He's very, very good. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you something later on in in the time um, near the end when you uh, when you, you you talked about Walter Smith and not wanting you to play and and yeah. you, I remember for a while you were just walking around the training ground and you were saying yeah. all right la to everybody you know <laughs> it was like a it was like a Liverpool greeting. All right, yeah, coast, coast. Do you remember that? Coast. <laughs> yeah. All right, lad. All right. <laughs> you remember yeah, doing that? Funny because I remember. I remember not everything, but I remember a lot. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. OK, well, now for our second half of the David Unsworth interview. And what a season his under-23 side have had. A league and cup double, and we started by discussing how the setup has changed from David's playing days, and what we used to call the reserves. It's not a reserve team, team to, as such. Um, we are a lot younger, and we don't get the drop down of uh, first team players, senior players that you certainly did when I was an apprentice or a young professional. Um, but there's no reason why you can't treat it like a reserve team, where you plan and you work in a in a similar way to the first team uh, where you plan all week you you detailed to you know then go into a game every week where you want to win you know that's just the natural progression that these boys uh, are undertaking what we might have to do and what we have done is 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 be a team before they go on loan so if we send the boy out on loan to league 1 league 2 the championship like we have done you know numerous players you know, there's a demand for that that individual player to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, you know, all season, uh, and and they need to win. So our our job as under twenty three coaches um, is is enabling them to progress to be the best player that they can, but also to 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 give them the tools to hopefully a go straight to our first team. That's always the plan, but b Give them the tools and and the knowledge and the skills, um, to be able to compete uh, at football league level. Mm. Maybe before they go into our first team, or or that player might not be in our first team. So it's to give him the tools to have a career have, in the I was, game. I was going to say have a career. Yeah, 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 have a career in the game. And and I've not met a, a footballer yet, a young player at Preston. Where I've coached at Sheffield United, where I've coached, and and Everton, you know, where I still coach, that has played in our first team, and hasn't had um, a a winning mentality, b a great desire to to improve, uh, and and c who's actually a really good human being. Um, all the players that I've had playing first teams at Preston, Sheffield United, and at Everton have had all those three traits, and it's no surprise that they go on and have great careers. It's the ones who fail in one of those categories or two that 
unfortunately, when they leave here, you know, they they just you know probably don't play again. Mm. I, I, but one of the interesting parts is where you know you talk about not having that the senior players coming down and playing. Is that a disadvantage, do you think? Because I remember being on the bus with you, um, in, I think it was 98, when you, you, you were out of the first team for a few months. And, and, but the value, and I remember the, the, the Jimmy Gabriel and people like that saying to me, the value of having someone like you around on that bus for those few games that you were there. In fact, I think you won a, a Premier League yeah, reserve Premier League medal yeah. because you'd, you'd had a couple of games. And... But the value of having you on that bus and people like Richard Dunn and people like that at the time could mm. speak to you and, and understand and you were very good. And I, even though I say to myself, you know, I was really impressed with the way you you helped them. Is there a disadvantage to today's young players that they don't have that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very simple answer to to your question, Alan. It, yeah, it is a big disadvantage. So, and it's not going to change. We're not, we're, you know, unfortunately, we won't, I don't think, ever go back to that. The game's moved on, and it's moved on in a better way, um, and, and it has other, you know, advantages of why the game's moved on. So, what we have to try and do when we look at that, and I look at that as, as, you know, that's a real great way to develop youngsters when you're playing alongside senior players. So, so we have to try and find a different way. The the other way that I would love us to have what we don't have in this country is the development of B teams which they do in every other major you know European country and the advantage of that is probably even better than the old reserve team way of playing and the way of developing but I'm, I'm sure it will come into this country at some point I think we're years off it um, because the I mean you know the football league allowed us to go in the Checker Trade Trophy a couple of years ago, which is a fabulous competition that we love, and the you know the the hassle and palaver that that created at the time, um, just because we were entering in a cup competition. So for us to be, you know, granted you know status in the football league as a B team, I, I think we're years away, which is a shame because it would be an, an amazing development tool to to have that at our disposal but so so what we do is we try and get our players if they're not going to be going straight into our first team from under 23 level uh, the best opportunity to go out on loan and there has been changes in the loan market recently where you know they've they've abolished the youth loan which was a month to month um system where you could bring players back now we have to go window to window so we we try and um every every player's journey is 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 different and you know we talk and have a lot of meetings about every individual and what's the best pathway for for that individual to to reach their potential but certainly um, using the the loan system is something that we do is something that is part of our process to Giving these boys as much exposure to real, real life football as as they possibly can, um, you know. How difficult a job is that for you to, you know, map out that road for them and and which club they go to? I guess that's a, a massive decision. Yeah, I mean, it's a decision that isn't just undertaken by myself, the manager, Marcel, uh, you know, the, the scouting departments. You know, we all come together and you, you can usually you usually know. Um, after a period of time, what players, whereabouts they are 
in their development. We've been doing it a long time. So, and and obviously the interest that that comes in from other clubs for the those individual players as well. What we always try to do is is enable these players, to give them the opportunity to go out on loan, but also give them the the right club that they're going to play. There's we've had we've had individuals who have gone out on loan and it's not quite worked out the out for them and because they've not played. So, you know, if they're not going to play when they're out on loan, there's no point in them going out there. So, what we try and do is 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 talk to the clubs and we're, we're doing it a lot more and a lot better than we used to do. Talk to the clubs um about what they need and how serious they actually are on on taking our young professionals uh, on loan for a period of six months. What's the what's the age where you can look at a player and go yeah, he's going to be a player. Is there an age? Is it? Is there a time in that development where you think, yeah, he's going to be a player? You know a good player from a bad player. That's what I will say. You know, you know a player. Um, you know, in the academy, the academy are very good at keeping hold of of, of the best players. Um, and then probably when you 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 get into Paul's team at under eighteens, you know, you're looking at them now as 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 young scholars. Maybe under sixteen, under eighteen, where you think they might have an opportunity to to develop into a professional player. Then, as they come into our group, you know, you're looking at them in pre-season. Can they can they hit the physical stats that the players that have gone before them uh, are doing? Can they hit the physical stats that the first team are doing? Are they performing consistently well in the under twenty threes? Um, but you, you never really. No, one hundred percent until they get that opportunity and that jersey in the first team. So you can't look at a nine and ten year old and say he's going to be a player. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Even a Wayne Rooney you, and people you, like that. Well, Wayne, I remember seeing Wayne at fourteen. Wayne, Wayne is is a is a one off. There are exceptions. A, a massive exception, yeah. Wayne, you know, you um, you could tell a world class player, mm. but you could tell Messi at that age as well. I yeah. mean, but yeah. I'm talking about the players that come through. You know, ninety. Probably nine percent of the other players that come through to be professionals, you know, under sixteen, you've got a really good idea. Under eighteen, you, you've got even more of an idea. And then, and then, what what you need then is a little bit of luck, uh, a manager that believes in you, who who is willing to give you the opportunity in this volatile world of of first team uh, football. Um, and it's it's a brave decision. By by whoever's the manager to give a young player that that debut, um, and then you just hope you know that that player then gets a run of games because we all need an opportunity at, at anything we, we do in life, but we also need an opportunity to do it for a period of time, and uh, not just a one-off. You know, for me, playing for Everton now, making a debut isn't enough for young players. We've done that. We've we've all experienced that. It's can a young player play fifty games. Mm. Until the young players play fifty games, I don't think they've actually arrived at, at the club, um, and 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 actually for themselves, don't feel part of it until you've played a number of games. I I know I didn't. I only really felt part of being a first team player at this club when Joe Royal came in, um, and and it's it's a great feeling. And as one of the hardest parts of the job, uh, because if you look at numbers wise. Only a few make it, don't they? In any club, it doesn't matter whether it's Everton or anybody else. Only a certain amount, unless you you're back in '92 and at Manchester United. But but you know, is that the hard one of the hardest parts of the job when you see these players and you think, you know, you you not you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You know, is that hard? I think I think you say 
not going to make it. Not going to make it here yeah. at Everton. Yeah. I think that's. I think you can soften the blow by players being successful at other clubs or having a career out of the game. I think that's that goes down as a success as well because they might not have the potential to play in our in our first team. Um, when it when it does happen, like with John Joe or with Tom. You know, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Um, I bet. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an amazing feeling, actually. I, I'll never forget sat in the stands watching Tom score against Man City. It was, yeah. it was just a great day. Um, and obviously, all the other boys that have gone before, you know, making the debuts. But it, 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 the hardest bit is probably, you know, releasing a player um, and then that player not going on to at least have a career in the football league. That that's tough. Um, and it's never a nice day when you you have to release anybody from Everton Football Club. It's uh, it, it, it's the worst bit of the job. How good is the academy? Is the under twenty threes? How good? Where where are we? How does this compare to the last few years? Well, I, I think I think we do a brilliant job. I think the academy do a fantastic job. I think we get get it right uh, in a lot of areas. I think um, we are the envy of a lot of clubs, uh, a lot of top clubs in the country. The Certainly the feedback I get from from a lot of clubs is that we get it right. We can always improve, um, we can always be better, um, but that's you searching and striving then for perfection. And I think we have such a dedicated um, amount of staff that are always looking for that perfection. Um, and you know we'll always keep striving for that and to be the best um, and I think we we have one of the finest academies I think, I believe in the world um, uh, you know, they only have to look at our success um, you only have to look at the the amount of people who want to work here um, you know, when we have a vacancy we are inundated with, with applicants, you know, every former player leaves and wants to come back that's that goes without saying. Uh, it's a very very special place, and um, to be part of, of of this club and to have gone through the journey myself, I think it's uh, it's great to have come through the ranks here and now to be helping, um, you know, try and produce you know the the the, the players of the next generation. How good is this group? I mean, I know you won't name names, but you know, how good is this group? Are you expecting to see? Two, three, four, whatever you know, coming through into this first team. It's always the aim to see everybody fulfil their own potential. Um, we will certainly allow an, an, a, a large number of our players from last year to go out on loan next year. That's the next step in their development. There are a couple of players that have been allocated the um, privilege of training with our first team next year for for the duration. So that's that in itself is massive. And then it's that up to them to produce the performances to to get in the team. Um, we've got a manager, we've got a director of football who want to promote young players who who, who have played young players, um, and you've got a dedicated staff underneath that um, who just are totally and utterly dedicated to the success of our young players. You love it, here, don't you? I do, yeah, I do. <laughs> it, someone who's known it, you, you know, for yeah. for how many years now, you know, but you do, you love I, it. I love you? my job, Alan. I love, I love, um, I love the challenge of uh, making players and staff better. Um, I've been doing it a long time now, and I love it. And um, you know, we've had a lot of success 
here. I think that helps um, that that you that you know what you're doing, you know what it takes, you know the demands, you know the formula of of not just me. I'm talking about the the whole academy staff, uh, the whole under twenty three staff, the whole the whole department, the whole you know sports science recruitment, everything that goes to producing a player. Not just sort of the finishing school of the under twenty threes. That we know what we're doing, and um, like I said, there's no prouder moment than when you see one of your own come through and play. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I think we can all rest assured that the youth setup at Everton, and in particular the under twenty three teams are in very good hands with David Unsworth. Well, that's it for episode two. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to all my guests and thanks to Everton for all their help as well. As always, up the toffees, speak soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.